Here we are. Let's talk about God. And today... Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about God in 2020. (laughs) Does it feel weird to say 2020? It does feel weird. I didn't realize, like, I didn't put it into words. the end of a decade, right? How neat. Yes. Um, It's the last year of the decade, right? I think it's the end. Or is it the beginning of a new decade? Yes, the beginning of a new decade. That was the question at at uh, 2K when we when we hit the millennium back in 2000. Is does it start at the beginning of 2000 or does it actually start at two at the end of 2000? Like 2001, yeah. you have to get the year 2000 in. Yeah, for it to be technically yeah. complete. Well, okay, it, tell me about this. What was the uh, what was the whole computer thing? The whole Y2K? Yeah, because I was four. Okay, so the clocks that were, this is the layman's term, obviously. The yeah. clocks, the internal clocks that were are within computers mm-hmm. were built on uh, a calendar that's built, you know, with the 1900s. Yeah. And there became a great, a, a great concern arose that because it wasn't designed to handle 2000, that when it, went to 2000 that all the computers would crash or or go crazy or maybe even that artificial intelligence would rise up and take over the world. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was that extreme, no. but everybody was worried that their computer systems were going to crash, which was pretty major if you start talking about your electrical grids and nuclear power plants and your airplanes. Society and, would shut down. Oh, airplanes and cars and anything that did, had a computer in it. So and, did Bill Gates mm. and Steve Jobs and... Uh, all the other guys not come out and say we're not that dumb. We designed these correct. I, I, no, there was really it was a really big question mark, and you had some experts saying it's going to affect your computer. You had other experts coming out saying we don't foresee that it does anything. And I think the reality was it didn't. What I remember is it didn't. The world didn't come to an end. I don't remember anybody's <laughs> computer Warrior. crashing, and so I think. I think it did okay, but that's hilarious. Well, hey, little history lesson for you youngsters out there, because I had always heard about that, but I didn't know like what it was. There's going to be like humans are going to look back on the history books like like two thousand years from now if we're still around and just laugh how dumb we are. They're going to be living in like the Jetsons world by that point, and then laughing because we thought our computers were going to die because the date changed. We were barbaric, I guess. That's funny. Well, uh, today, I, I can't find any, like, sneaky way to connect that conversation to what we're talking about. <laughs> today, we are talking about fasting. Well, that would have been slowing down a computer. Oh, we want to talk about fasting. Fasting. Unbelievable. It's bad. That was just bad. At least it was an attempt. It was an attempt. attempt it was a an poor, attempt it was made. As poor as attempt. But yeah, we're going to talk about fasting today. We're excited about fasting. If you're a part of our High Praises family, um, we're excited because this week we're actually be- beginning a seven-day fast. If you've noticed, we've actually released this podcast a week earlier than we typically do because we wanted you to be able to um, listen to this podcast and maybe grow in your understanding of fasting and then participate in this week's fast. If you're not a part of our High Praises family, that's cool. Just learn about fasting today. And join us in our fast as well. If you want to, just yeah. start right now. 
immediately. Don't yeah. eat. Put put down the food. Put down the cheese stick. Yeah, the cheeseburger. You know what you're doing. Put it down. We see you. Uh, but no, today we're talking about fasting. So as always, go ahead. Give me your 30-second definition. What is fasting? Not eating. That it? That's your simplest definition is a true <laughs> fast is that you do not eat. Now, some would say or drink, mm-hmm. uh, but I think then you maybe you're now getting on the edges, but just a true fast is that you're not eating. Uh, something that's a little more spiritual is a fast as a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. Yeah. That's what I would say a fast is. Yeah. Same. I basically said it's ex- expressing spiritual dependence on God. Spiritual purposes, it's, it's got a reason. It's got a purpose behind it. And so. there should be a reason behind it. Absolutely. Exactly. So today let's look at fasting. Let's begin in the Old Testament. So fasting has been around um, in the Judeo-Christian world um, for quite some time now. But as we're going to see uh, through this episode the actual meaning of fasting and purpose of fasting has shifted and changed a little bit, um, especially with the coming of Christ. So when we look at the Old Testament, there is fasting, and there's primarily three categories in which we see people fasting in the Old Testament. One of those categories is people in the Old Testament would fast when it was time to mourn. So for instance, when Saul died, King Saul, David and his men fasted. And then also, same scenario, when the men of Jabesh-Gilead heard that Saul had died, saw that Saul had died, um, they fasted. So fasting was a way of um, just mourning, of of weakening yourself, of abstaining from food and pleasure and life and all of that, and just um, being sad about a certain situation, which I know is really foreign to us. You know, maybe maybe you would not eat if you were in mourning because naturally, you know, maybe you just lost your appetite. It's too stressful, whatever. Um, but, you know, typically you wouldn't make a decision to not eat for a purpose. Yeah, and I think we, you know, we, we're saying mourning. So we need to we need to expound on that a little bit. Um, I have been with members whose spouse was having a serious surgery and they were there early in the morning at the hospital. And so the, the, the spouse was finally wheeled into the operating room and now we're waiting Yeah, and it's early in the morning. And I have said to the, the individual, would you like to go get this early? Would you like to go get some breakfast? Let me go buy your breakfast. And a lot of times people say, okay, cause I know it's going to be several hours. Mm-hmm. I have had times where the spouse would say, no, I don't feel like eating. I'm just going to sit right here. They just wanted to stay mm-hmm. and wait it out stay right there in the room in case the doctor came and, you know, there was a purpose. They yeah. just, they didn't feel like eating. They didn't want to eat. Uh, there are times when people in death, um, churches, we try to bring food, family members bring food, the places of employment, people from their coworkers will bring food to the house. And a lot of times if this, the person who has lost a level and just say, I don't, I don't feel like eating. I have mm-hmm. no appetite. So it, it, it does affect when yeah. there's a mourning of some kind, um, if you've ever had something um, upset you so much that you couldn't eat, I mean, I think everybody's had that happen. Maybe yeah. one one where I remember the first time it happened to me. It was as a teenager. Uh, the circumstance really doesn't matter, but I just kind of thought about that later. Is I've never had that happen. You know, when you're a teenager, you can eat. Yeah, you eat all the time. But but when you connect it spiritually, it's where you mourn over something 
that's a spiritual issue. Okay, so where these examples are where there was a death, Saul died, and whatever, mm-hmm. they fasted. There is a connection there. And um, I'm going to get ahead of ourselves, but if you go to the New Testament, Jesus, and hopefully we'll come back to the Scripture, but Jesus said um, it, when, the, when, the, when the wedding is going on, that's not the time to fast. Yeah. But when the bridegroom has left, then they'll mourn. And he was making reference to himself. So yeah. in other words, they had the privilege of having Jesus with him. But when he went back to heaven, he died, rose again, then left. He, they mourned that. They mm-hmm. missed him. And he said, those are the times when you'll want to fast. And so that gets into a spiritual connotation of, God, I'm upset about my spiritual state. I'm upset because my son or daughter is lost and in sin. Mm-hmm. My husband, my wife is not saved. I'm upset because our church is dry and dead and cold and, and we need a revival. And those are the times when you're grieved. Mm-hmm. And then you say, I, I, gotta, I don't even want to eat. I just got to get along with God and plead with God to, to change. Yeah. So there's the connection. And I think that actually even leads sort of into the, the other ways we see it used in the Old Testament. Um, if you kind of talk about that spiritual state and you're not eating uh, because of your spiritual state, in the Old Testament, often people would fast for repentance. Now, I know that's not all-encompassing spiritual issues, but for sin. So like in First Samuel, the people fast after turning away from idols and turning back to God. And then um, when Jonah preaches to the Ninevites and they realize like our city is going to be destroyed, they fast, and it's a sign of repentance. It's a sign of turning to God, of spiritual dependence of God, on God, of, of showing remorse, of saying, like, we don't even want food right now. Like, we are, we are just sorry for the sins that we have committed. Um, and so I think that's really interesting of, of letting go of food, letting go of pleasure, letting go of all of that to just focus on God. Um, and I'm, then, well, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. I'm thinking of it. You, you, you mentioned David, and that's right. So that's one morning penance. Can, can I go back to the morning one? Because yeah. um, the, we tell these Bible stories, they're there because they help us. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought about like when David David committed um, the affair with Bathsheba, yeah. uh, and then they had a child. Well, that child got sick. And if you remember, David wouldn't eat. He fasted because mm-hmm. he was mourning over the sickness. He knew the child was dying. He was pleading with God. And he knew he was responsible. Right. And so he's. there may have been some penitence in mm-hmm. both of those. So yeah. there may have been he was mourning because his child is sick, and then he's penitent because he knew that this is because of him. Yeah. Well, they tried to get him to eat, and he wouldn't. Well, the child died, and they were afraid to tell him, the servants, and he finally saw what was going on. He said, what's up? And they said, the child's dead. And... um he said, okay, so bring me something to eat. And they said, wait a minute, you, we're trying to get you to eat in the crisis. You won't. Now there's a death in you. And he, you know, he basically said, I, I can't go to where he, he can't come back to me, but one of these days I'll go to where he is. Yeah. um, David was quite the theologian and just was very practical. But the whole point is you kind of see both there, the morning and probably there's some penitence. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm responsible for what this sin what I've done. and what I've done is consequence. Yeah. Oh God, forgive me. Mm-hmm. And then finally in the old Testament, um, we see maybe, maybe kind of what you were talking about earlier when we would see it in a much more spiritual sense. Um, but as, as a petition to God and in moments of danger, people would fast to go after God and, and ask for his help. So when the Israelites were fighting with the tribe of Benjamin in the book of judges, 
they started to lose. So they returned to the camp and fasted. And then once they were done fasting, the Lord actually defeated Benjamin. Or like when the Moabites and the Ammonites came against um, Jehoshaphat. How do you how do you say mm-hmm. this? Jehoshaphat. I've heard too. Um, and in Israel, basically, he proclaimed a fast in Judah, and then the Lord won the battle for him. And so that may be what we uh, mirror more closely in New Testament Christianity today is is fasting to petition for God to work in our lives. And I think there's there's no we're not violating anything. I think we're make, taking the right path mm-hmm. is that for them, it was a literal physical battle. For yes. us, there is a spiritual warfare. Absolutely. That the New Testament says is very mm-hmm. real, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So there is a battle with the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so fasting can give you, matter of fact, we have three enemies. You want to know something, you have Satan is your enemy, uh, this evil world system that promotes anti-God has an anti-God agenda, that's our enemy, and then your own flesh, (laughs) which tries to get you to sin sometimes. Through fasting, you can overcome and will overcome all three of those. Yeah. And we'll talk about that, you know, a little later, but... Absolutely. So there is a victory that comes. Yeah. And and I think that's one that we maybe can relate to more. Yeah, absolutely. And so that gives you the Old Testament background of fasting, that fasting was... Um, a part of Old Testament Israel. It served a purpose, and you can even see the connections. Um, But as we move towards the New Testament, it's important to look at a certain period um, called Second Temple Judaism, or uh, the intertestamental period. If you want like a $5 word, intertestamental, that's six syllables right there. That's a $6 word. (laughs) So basically this is Judaism in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, hence intertestamental. There there were 400 years between the end of Malachi Mm -hmm. and the beginning of Matthew. That kind of helps you from from a Bible perspective. There were 400 years where there was no revelation, no prophetic word, mm-hmm. and we call that the inter, because it's between the new te- the two testaments, it's called the intertestamental yeah. period. And it's called the second temple Judaism, because remember, the first temple was destroyed, but then it was allowed to be rebuilt, and there was a second temple following that. Right. And so during this time, because there's been um, kind of this, there's no prophets, right? Everything's kind of shut down. Um God's not necessarily speaking to his people in that way for 400 years. And so now there's a lot of relying on the elders, the tradition of the elders, the rabbis, the teachers of the day. And so they kind of started to come up with their own traditions and their own ways of thinking, and it sort of became the norm based on what they taught. And so fasting took on a new way. Um, It was seen as a help to your prayers, which is, I mean, we, you know, we saw that in the Old Testament. We even say that in the New Testament. They may have taken it probably a bit far. Um, here's where it became really formalized. There were a lot of calls to a fast. And so it became a thing that the whole nation or whole people would join in. But here's where we see this carried out um, mostly by the Pharisees and the New Testament. And here is what Jesus railed against in the New Testament, is that fasting basically became a show of outward piety, um, that it became a display of how spiritual I am, how great I am, how close to God I am, that instead of being a means of emptying yourself and relying on God, it became a way of shouting to the world, look how spiritual I am. 
they even had regular fasts. I believe it was on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they would do it all the time, do it regularly, and it was a show of outward piety. And so that is the setting of the Pharisees as we enter into the New Testament. To, to use a college football term, we just finished the college football season, uh, uh, or it would be style points. <laughs> style points. Style points. You know, the, the college football committee looks sometimes at a team and, and how it plays, its style, how it looks, the eye test. <laughs> and, and so the Pharisees loved the eye test. They did. They yeah, loved they the did. style points. Jesus, that's what he condemned him for. You they see, would like put like ash and all this stuff on their faces yeah. and trying to make themselves look all sickly and, and, and look and holy yes. and they wanted to be religious and the Pharisees started out we've I think we talked about mm-hmm. this in another episode that they started out good but then they became incredibly legalistic exactly and so yeah their fasting didn't work exactly they were just a bunch of hungry Pharisees <laughs> I, I remember waste of time uh, y- y'all might enjoy this uh, listeners I was in Bible college and our college professor Dr. George Voris um, said that he had a student come to him and say, Dr. Voris, Dr. Voris, have you heard? And this would have been back like in the Mm -hmm. 80s. He said, all the Satanists in America have bound together that they're going to fast to the devil to come against the Christians. He what are we going to do? And Dr. Voris started laughing, and he said, fasting to the devil does absolutely nothing. (laughs) He said, the only effective fast is when you fast to God. God is the only one. He said, you're just going to have a bunch of hungry Satanists. He (laughs) said, don't worry about it. Go on, don't worry about it. And that was the end of it. He was was totally, he was like, it's it's a non-issue. Who cares? Just a bunch of hungry Satanists. That's hilarious. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, So, I mean, I think that's even an important point right there that you just made, that fasting is only directed Towards God. It doesn't work with any other, I mean, I guess there's really just Satan and demons, but it doesn't work with the Satan and demons. Um, So that is the setting as we enter the New Testament period. That's the way fasting is seen. So now as we enter, enter the New Testament period, we see that John the Baptist disciples actually take along fasting with the Pharisees. This is, this is an interesting question I have have for you. Um, In what way was John the Baptist fast different than the Pharisees. They probably, I imagine, took on the same form, probably fasted on the same days. But do you think, excuse the pun, they baptized fasting a little bit and made it holy? (laughs) Maybe towards repentance in a way? Well, I don't, I don't, whatever difference we're looking for, I think that you get back to purpose because behind every fast, there should be a purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's, probably one of those root truths that <clears throat> fundamental truths that our listeners need to get today is that you, you don't fast just to not eat. You fast with a purpose. Yeah. And so um, even this week as we're fasting at, at high praises, it's we'll have a theme for every day. Mm-hmm. And today let's fast for our government and we'll pray about all the government. And t- the tomorrow let's fast t- to see God convict and save people who are in sin. Mm-hmm. We pick it. There's a purpose every day. Yeah. And so I think John the Baptist fast may have gone back to that second item you listed in the Old Testament was penitence, repentance, because yeah. that was his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. And so there may have been fasting. Look, the, the Judaism was a cold, dry religion. It was an outward religion. There was no life to it. Jesus yeah. just con- condemned it what it was then. But there were Jews who really wanted to be close to God. Absolutely. And so I think that's who John is appealing to, Mm -hmm. and people are saying, yes, we want to fast for the purpose of Judaism is not doing it for us. Yeah. How do we we connect with God? And John is that voice that's saying, let me tell you how. 
Yeah. It's going to be through a Messiah that's coming. Yeah. Prepare yourself. And so, yeah, I think that's the difference. So even with John the Baptist coming on the scene, we already see bab- or, excuse me, we already see fasting taking on a fresh form and, and taking on true, real spiritual meaning in some sense. Um, but we also see Jesus interacting with fasting a good bit. So one of the first times we see Jesus fast is actually during his temptation. And so Jesus has just been baptized, and he's just the Holy Spirit has just descended upon him. And this is what is seen by most as the beginning of Jesus's ministry or right before it. So right after the baptism and temptation, Jesus is going to start ministry. And after he receives his baptism, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, into the desert basically, and doesn't eat and doesn't sin when the devil comes to tempt him. What's the spiritual connection there between Jesus intentionally before his ministry fasting and saying no to the devil? Well, let me say several things. Uh, If I remember right, there are only three times that anyone fasted for 40 days. Moses did it twice, if I remember right, and then Jesus did it Mm -hmm. once. Those are supernatural fasts. Absolutely. You cannot physiologically you will die. So I don't, anyone out there listening, <laughs> Disclaimer. I don't, don't, don't <laughs> not eat and drink for 40 days. We're going to have your funeral unless you actually, God tells you to do it and it, you are supernaturally enabled. And probably, yeah, it needs to be confirmed, I imagine, by other it, it, spiritual well, people yeah, so Yeah, I mean, that's, you just, <laughs> the reality is, you, the norm. I don't see any case mm-hmm. where that would happen because I know a, a young man who did a 21-day fast. But you still have to drink. You can't go beyond three days without water, so you have to do a water fast. But our understanding is that Jesus went without food and water for 40. So it was supernatural. You have to be supernaturally enabled to do that. Now, he not only was water baptized, but he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so he is prepared for ministry. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is an equipping, getting your gear to do ministry. Mm Mm-hmm. So he is about to go into his ministry. But if you'll see him going into the wilderness, it's not like he has to fast to get power to defeat the devil. He's God. Yeah. He's just God in flesh. Mm-hmm. So he always has power over the devil, but he does have flesh. So where the fasting would not affect the divine nature, surely it had an effect on the human nature. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you eat, you get hungry, you get thirsty, and you get weak. And and so there are, and I'm just doing this off the cuff, Evan, but there are a lot of things there where he, it's, he's wanting to get close to God as mm-hmm. the God-man, yeah. okay? So it, it's, it, it could be preparatory for ministry. Mm-hmm. So fasting, I know when I've preached um, uh, major, like if I get a major speaking opportunity, you know, it doesn't happen much, but when it does... Um, I've preached some camp meetings in our Church of God, mm-hmm. which are, uh, I, and I don't say this boastfully. I'm only saying this to, to, to connect. So yeah. I want to clarify that. Absolutely. Uh, I, I've always felt compelled that I, I spend several days fasting mm-hmm. because I want to be prepared for that. I don't think you go into that level of an of a opportunity, ministry opportunity, without preparing yourself. Mm-hmm. So you could see Jesus preparing himself. Okay? Well, if you look at it in the sense of humble dependence, even if he's about to begin ministry. If you're about to begin ministry at some place, you're saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. To do this mission, and I'm committed to you. Right. Yeah. Right. And then the, the, 
of course, God, the Father knew, you know, who knew, if, I don't know if Jesus knew the devil was going to show up, but um, the testing may have been part of the whole process as well. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, again, we get into that whole thing. We say Jesus could have sinned, but he wouldn't have sinned. <laughs> we get into that whole thing. We did that just a few episodes ago. But, I, you know, I think ultimately he serves as an example to us because mm-hmm. he, you see, so here's another thing about that. You see the spiritual victory. It gets mm-hmm. back again. We talked about, you kind of keep going back to those things in the Old Testament. Uh, the, he won the victory over the devil. Well, that was a model to us. Well, even as Christ is the second Adam, Adam sinned by eating. Christ did not sin by not eating. There you both go. fasting and not eating the bread offered by the devil. Yeah, or to turn it into bread. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but you're you're right. So it, it shows us how to defeat the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, there's another scripture that I hope we go back to, but Jesus said, you know, uh, and I think you're going to get this. He yeah. cast out a demon, but you know, he t- said some things only happen by prayer and fasting. So he yeah. was modeling for us. I just think so much of Jesus' incarnation. You know, we just came out of the Christmas season. It just was a lot of it was for us, not just the salvation and the death on the cross. But I think he just was the model of how to be a godly man. He was the God man. How to be a godly man or a godly woman? I, you know, I would say this Jesus is what it means to be truly human. A lot of times when we like make a mistake or fail or even sin, we go, well, I'm just human. But you got to remember that wasn't God's design for us. God's design was for us to be without sin and to be with him. And so Jesus is actually what it means to be truly human, to live in obedience to the Father. So to to the old saying, to err is is human, you would change it to err is to be not truly human. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think what you said was important, too, because going back to his baptism, which is right before the temptation, John the Baptist was like, I'm not baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. Like, what are you doing? And then Jesus is like, no, I want you to do this. I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah, he said, I'm going to show you how to do it. This is if I did. And if you're out there and you haven't been water baptized, if you're saved and you're listening and you say, well, I've just never done it. If Jesus did it, then you need to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's that's a pretty strong statement right there. But let's go on to that story as well um, of, of the demon-possessed boy. So we know Jesus is beginning his ministry. He's relying um, on God. He's fasting, maybe preparatory, maybe dependence on God. But now we move deep into the story. Um, Jesus has taken just a couple of his disciples up onto a mountain. Um, we've seen the transfiguration. He comes down the mountain, and he sees this crazy crowd Um and all of these people arguing, and basically there's a father who's brought his son who is demon-possessed, and Jesus' remaining disciples um, down below the mountain tried to cast them out and couldn't. So after a lot of conversation, it's a great story, go read it, Jesus cast the demon out. And so afterwards, his disciples were like, Jesus, why could we not cast the demon out? And he said, only this kind um, can be cast out by prayer and fasting. And I would say it's important to note, too, that when Jesus got down there and learned that the demon was not cast out, he cried out, oh, you faithless generation, (laughs) how long am I going to have to deal with you? Uh, So what are we seeing here in this story where Jesus says only this kind can be cast out by prayer and fasting? What does that say about the nature of praying fasting tied together? And what does that say about... um, you know, power and authority over the devil and all of those things through prayer. And well, there's a lot here, and this is a scripture that for me is pretty significant, especially when it comes to fasting and and when it comes to spiritual authority. If 
we have authority over the devil. Jesus gave the disciples authority over the devil. Mm -hmm. That authority has been extended to us. He said, behold, I give you power or authority, exousia, to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. That promise is still to us today. I I tell people we carry a badge and a gun, Mm -hmm. okay? And so we have the authority and we also have the power. The badge is my authority, but the gun is my power. Mm -hmm. And especially we Pentecostals believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that that we the Spirit of God is greater than any demonic spirit because he's God. Mm -hmm. They're just a fallen angel. So Jesus had given them power, but you have to believe. If you have a police officer with a badge and a gun, but he doesn't believe in his that he has the authority and he's dealing with gang members or with a with a with a an armed robber, and that that enemy, that opponent, that criminal can see that that officer is scared and doesn't understand his authority, he'll rise up against that officer. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if that officer understands every officer I've ever seen understands their authority and wields it strongly. I watched a woman one time, uh, there were two gangs that met up. I had, I was going to do early morning fishing. So this is four in the morning, three, four, four in the morning. Uh, and I'm sitting in a huddle house, waffle house, looking out the window. And I'm like, what are all these young adult, young people down here? Well, there's two gangs. I didn't know it. Well, they were coming about to fight. Well, all of a sudden blue lights, cops come yeah. in from a direction. And this woman, I watched this, this woman police officer, Never, she had her hand on her gun. She never, she got between them and told those one gang, move back, get out of here, move back. And she's pointing at them. They all, with authority. I mean, boy, she knew who she was and she took authority of that. They all turned and left. And she broke that one police officer, broke up two gangs. I watched the whole thing. I mean, they had guns. We were down in our booth hiding. (laughs) And so when you know your, that's how we're supposed to be. Evidently, the disciples, did not believe in the authority that Jesus gave them. So when they spoke to the demon, the demon knew, y'all don't believe this. And what do you think that could have done? I'm just like kind of thinking off the top of my head now. They've already cast out demons. Jesus has already given them authority. It's not like they haven't done this. Do you think it's possible they they didn't, they they got maybe cocky, they got prideful, the the religious people are there, People were watching. Yeah. I, I don't know. It could have been any a number of those factors. Yeah. I, you know, some people say th- there are demons that are stronger than other demons. Uh, again, if I've got a gun and I got a guy in front of me that's 150 pounds or 250 yeah. pounds that bench presses 600, doesn't matter. My gun, I, my bullet's still going to take you mm-hmm. out. So I don't, I don't know where the strength of a demon really is an issue for the child of God because we don't fight again, but it may be an authority issue. It may be a stubborn rebellious issue where some demons are more rebellious or stubborn. So they had cast out demons that were, that, that just responded immediately uh, or that Jesus was there this time. Jesus wasn't there. So I don't know. There was something that they weren't totally, fully yeah. exercising that authority and that devil knew it. And so when he resisted them, instead of saying, to, you know, speaking with more authority saying, I said to you in the name of Jesus, come out, there, there must've been a failure in their part. And, and I think they got scared. They just said, I don't believe I can do this. And they quit. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just conjecturing, speculating yeah. but that from my, from like modern experiences. I think that's what happened. There's a reason Jesus said, are you faithless generation? I, right. Some, and I, yeah. I think he was frustrated. He's like, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be here guys forever. But get it together. Get it together and, <laughs> and exercise the authority. Tell yeah. the demon to go. You've, mm-hmm. you've got the power yeah. just like I do. 
And uh, then I think that maybe because it was stubborn or because it was resistant, I don't know if it has to do the nature of that because there's some demons that are behind anger and murder and mm-hmm. addictions and sexual demons. I've, I, you know, I'm not a specialist on demons because I'm saved, <laughs> but I think there's some that behind certain idols yeah. and abortion. So um, maybe, but but maybe they're more resistant. But I think that's where it came in that they said, "Why couldn't we do it?" And you know, I think the first issue was you don't you didn't have the faith. You were faithless. But I think the second thing is that he said there are certain situations where the normal way of doing things is not going to work. You're going to have to go get in a closet and pray, and you're going to have to not eat, and you're going to have to get close to God. Mm-hmm. And I, I, what I've discovered, Evan, is that when I fast and pray, I get along with God, and I'm not eating, you, your mind clears up. You see things clearly. When you don't eat, you get the toxins out of your body. Your mind will get sharp. It's amazing when you fast, especially if you fast for a couple of days. Your mind just gets sharp. And... I think then you get a clear picture of who you are and who the devil is and the authority you have. And in being in prayer, you come out of that close to God, understand who you are. And then you go in and you say, okay, devil, here's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Jack, you're coming out in the name of Jesus, and I'm not leaving until you do come. One of us is going down, and it's not me, okay? And I think then the devil realizes I I gotta I gotta give mm-hmm. I gotta I gotta surrender yeah because it's not just me doing it it's God I have I have the the triune God standing behind me enforcing yeah. it and if and if it, and if he doesn't respond uh you know I I, I and people don't understand this I, I it took me a number of years but you know, interact with some really significant people I mean. You just say okay if that's what you're going to be God can you dispatch me about three good strong angels right now. Uh, I need some spiritual help, and you know what? You know what that demon's going to do? I don't, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving, and they'll and they'll go out. Mm-hmm. I remember Perry Stone telling a story about how there was a demon possessed guy, and and I think we talked about this when we did the demons things. But I'm going to tell yeah. it again, just real quick. And they were all young evangelists, and it was actually the guy was demon possessed was in the altar to camp me, but he was a true demon. He, mm-hmm. The guy was it was manifested. Well, they're all down there praying and shouting and yelling at it and trying to get nothing was happening. And the state overseer, who's an older, mature believer, comes off and and Perry, you know, of course Perry Perry was young then. Now he's the renowned Perry Stone, you know, with TV ministry and everything. And Perry told the story, is how I know it. Mm-hmm. And he said that he grabbed the overseer, state overseer, and said, we got this guy we can't get. And he said, he just calmly walked over and said, okay, Perry. And he looked at it and he said, devil, in the name of Jesus, you come out right now. And they said the demon came out. <laughs> and he said, all right, Perry, carry on. And he walked on, <laughs> left. He was headed somewhere. And, and Perry Stone said, I learned then that it's it's not all the screaming, yelling, all that. He, he said, it's knowing who you are yeah. and knowing your authority. He said he knew his authority, mm-hmm. and the devil knew that he knew his authority, and he had to leave. Yeah, that's So good. fasting, I think, helps you to get close to God and helps you to see clearly spiritual things and, so that you can address them. And this applies in all spiritual situations, because I imagine most people aren't going to come across a demon, demon-possessed person, but this would really include any spiritual matter in your life. That if you need God to intervene, you know what I mean? Fasting and praying helps you see the spiritual realities going on, helps you see the power of God in your situation, and I would say helps build your faith. There's something about emptying yourself that produces humble dependence on the power of God. And that's it, and you've said that several times, and I think you're spot on. I think that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, we're doing this, we do these podcasts, we share a lot of information, but we also want to help people. And let me, could we just stay on this for a little yeah, bit? Sure. Um, there is a passage of scripture 
uh, and I don't have it with me right now. Um, I'm, yeah, I have to, I'd have to look and I'd have to find it. I, so I apologize. I don't have it with me right now, but um, I think it's Luke five. So I think I'm pretty sure it's Luke five where, where Jesus was talking um, about fasting and um, it, it's that same passage where I mentioned earlier about the wedding, you know, the bridegroom, and he said, then they'll fast. And so he's talking about fasting, right? Mm-hmm. And he, he's literally talking about fasting. He said, but when the bridegroom, he said, then you will fast. And and so let me say a couple of things here. One is that, um, yeah, Luke 5, 39. So c- can you make wedding guests, wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away, and then they will fast. Yeah. So Jesus is the, the bridegroom. So he left, and he said, right now they don't really need to fast much, but when I leave, you need to fast. And by the way, that means he expects that we'll fast. Yeah. The, uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus said three things in the, in the, great, uh, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you pray, and then he talked about it. When you give, then he talked about it. And then he said, when you fast... Don't do like the Pharisees. That it, so he expects three things out of us, that we pray, that we give, and that we fast. So if you're a believer, you should do those three things. Yeah. Okay. It says, then they'll fast in those days. That's what he said. Then he goes, it's like he just totally goes off the map, and he says, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. You don't put a, a new patch in an old garment because the new patch is stronger than the old patch, and, and plus it's going to give. Anyway, he said it'll tear the old garment. Yeah. And he said you don't put new wine in an old wineskin because that old wineskin is dry and brittle, and when the fermentation process begins and that wine begins to expand, it's going to burst that old bag. He yeah. said you have to put new wine in a new wineskin that can expand and grow. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing that I've always said is that there's a connection there that a lot of people miss between fasting and the in the new wine skin and the new patch on the old clothes, he's talking about new things. And so, so one, we need to fast because in the context, the Pharisees are questioning and they're wondering, why do you not fast like us? Why do you not fast like John the Baptist right. disciples? Why are you not doing it our way? Exactly. So he's talking about fasting. So mm-hmm. then he goes in this whole thing, wine skins and patch. What? Well, I see the truth there, and to me, it is liberating. It is. Someone put it in simple terms. Jesus says you can you can do the old way, the the normal way of doing things, and it's going to work. Go to church, pay your tithes, read your Bible, pray every day, serve, volunteer, give, okay, worship. Those are the things that we do every day. That's the old wine skin. That's the that's the old cloth. Okay, but he said every once in a while you're going to encounter a situation where you you're going to have to do something different. Okay, and you you can't for what you need to happen. You can't rely on the old way. You can't rely on the old cloth, and you can't rely on the old wine skin. You have to have a new cloth, and you have to have a new wine skin. There's something new. Now, people have tried to make that say the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's fine. But that's not the context. The context is fasting, and so he said, "You're going to have to do something new." And so here's what I want to say to me, and I've preached this for years. There are some things, here's the principle, there are some things that you're going to get from God that you're going to have to deal with, situations overcome, devils to fight, that praying and going to church and worshiping is just not going to do it. You're going to have to add fasting to it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're going to have to fast and pray. And it takes me back to that scripture where Jesus said to the disciples, this kind cannot come out but by prayer and fast. You just can't pray your way through to victory on this one. You're going to have to push back the plate and get your flesh out of the way. 
because sometimes, because say it was the pressure of the, that crowd standing around those nine. The other three were up on the mountain with Jesus when that boy was mm-hmm. demon possessed. Maybe it was the pressure of the crowd. Maybe it was their pride. Well, how do you defeat those things? Fasting humbles the flesh. Mm-hmm. It, it, it d- denies the flesh so that the spirit man takes the preeminence. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. think that's really good. Um so now that we've kind of set down the principles of what fasting does, and you've mentioned this earlier, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us some principles on how to fast or the manner in which we should fast, and he's doing it specifically against the Pharisees. So this whole section of like, you should pray, you should give, you should fast is basically you should do all those things. Just don't do them like the Pharisees do. <laughs> so he mentions in, in that section that the Pharisees, they fast and they want everybody to see it. They want everybody to know about it. They make themselves look all sickly and look all tired and look all spiritual or whatever. And he says, when you fast, don't let anybody know. Yep. When you fast, don't shout it out there. Put water on your face, clean yourself up, make yourself look good. This is something b- between you and God. And do it in private, and what God sees in private, he's going to bless you for. Um, don't make this all about you being spiritual. As far as a principle today— Or being noticed. Or being noticed. I think it's about you're wanting to be seen— As spiritual. Well, and seen for for religious activity. I don't yeah. even think it's spiritual. I just think you want to be seen as, uh, as somebody that's religious— and maybe you know today's turn spiritual, but it's all a show. Just just call it what it is. It's mm-hmm. just a show. And he and by the way, he said the same thing about giving, and he said the same thing about praying. Yeah. And so you ever heard people pray prayers, and after a while, you're like, man, I don't really think he's talking to Jesus anymore. I just think he's trying to sound yeah, using big words, really big words. Yeah. And, and I think people do that when they pray over the meal sometimes, mm-hmm. and the other certain times, special occasions, you should pray a little longer, talk about things. But if it's just regular old meal and some guy's praying for 20 minutes and he's to me you know are you just kind of showing off now or mm-hmm. or you know what you know why are you doing this well i think that that kind of gets to my question is that ultimately it's a heart issue it's about your intentions it's about what you're doing um i think we've established fasting is not about being showy it's not about being religious it's not about showing off so now when we when we get into that practically what does that look like does that mean a strict rule that we have to hide from our spouses while we're not eating this, while we're not eating lunch today? <laughs> or, no, no. or does it mean that you don't go around posting on Facebook about I'm it? fasting today. <laughs> Look at me not eating, yeah. so spiritual. I, I just <laughs> created a fasting emoji. <laughs> what, what are the limits? Can I tell my friend, sorry, I can't go eat, I'm fasting? Or, you know... Or is it just one of the situations? Just look uh, at your heart. Well, uh, okay. So it's, it's again, it's a heart issue. Yeah. And it's not a legalistic issue. And I, that's to me, I think a lot of people, especially if they come out of a, the holiness movement, but not always the holiness movement. But I say it because it can stress people, right? Out. And they be and they want to be legalistic about it. It's mm-hmm. it's not legalistic. And maybe this will help some of our listeners this week who are listening, who are going through the church fast. And I try to talk about some of these things when we prepare for it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you can tell your spouse. You eat together, okay, yeah. you're at work, but when you come home for supper, it can affect the eating. So you got to, and hopefully, you, you know, if you're in a, on the church, hopefully we're, you know, the spouses are doing it together. Yeah. But if you choose and you know, you're going to do it on your own, you should tell your spouse. Yeah. So absolutely. that your spouse knows what you're doing, okay? Um, and, and if the kids are there, you can tell the kids, your family. Um, I think, you know, from that point on, that's where 
you don't have to flaunt it. So let's say that, because here's what's going to happen, and I talk about this. You, you decide to fast. Go ahead and decide. People who never invite you to lunch will text you, <laughs> call you, email you, and say, let's go to lunch today. I'm telling you, it will happen every time. I mean, the enemy will find a way to try to keep you from eating. I, it is Try it. If you're listening and you have it fast, Go ahead and fast and try it and see if I'm not telling the truth. <laughs> Somebody will call you and say, you want to go to lunch today? We haven't gone to lunch in a long time. I was just thinking about you. <laughs> it, it'll happen. And now, you don't have to say, text back and say, can't fasting today. Yeah. You just can say, you know what? It's not going to work with my schedule. Because yeah, you you're, you're scheduled to fast. Yeah. But you don't have to tell them that. So say it's not going to work with my schedule. Mm-hmm. How about tomorrow yeah. or next Tuesday? So you don't, that's, that's, the, that's the issue right there. Mm-hmm. Just bow out of it. It's just about your heart. It's your heart but and about, because you don't want to say, oh, I'm fasting, and then it makes it sound like, you know, y'all want you to know I'm being, I'm doing spiritual activities today. Yeah. What God is saying is that's just between you and me, and mm-hmm. let's just keep it that way. Okay, and now, it's, let's, it's, well, well, let me just say yeah. this. The church fast this week, um, if you're around church members, so I don't want anybody thinking, oh, this is a church-wide fast. So mm-hmm. if you're around church members— you can talk about it with your church members. That was the point I was actually going to make. I was like, well, what if somebody from church yeah. asks you out to eat? You can tell them. Yeah, I think you can say to them, the yeah, I mean, has. if it's, and, and, and we have a code. We use code. Uh, it'll be like, I, I can't, fa- I can't, I can't go eat with you today. Yeah. And if you, you, know. you just look at them. I know I've had people go, I'll look at them. I go, I got you. Because I, I know that's code. Yeah. They're trying not to say it, but it's like, I can't today. Yeah. So, yeah. But this week, because it's churchwide fast, you and and um and and even there's a little leverage, I think, because like if you're at work and somebody uh, notices you're not eating and says, "Why aren't you eating lunch?" You know, you. I think you can look at him and say, "Well, you know, since you asked, you I, asked I, a question. You yeah. asked a question. I, our church is doing a churchwide fast, and mm-hmm. our pastor was leading us that we're we're not eating." This week, we're fasting about a number of things today. And you can say today we're we're praying and fasting to God about this. And then you're not bragging because yeah. you're kind of re- deflecting it all back to this is a church-wide event. Mm-hmm. I'm part of a larger issue, and I'm only telling you this because you asked. Yeah. But it's going around and telling people, posting it. Those are the kind of things where you might as well—and what, what Jesus says, if you do that, you've already got your reward. Yeah. I think you just might as well quit right then. I mean, because you're not going to get anything from God. I mean, we need to say that. Yeah. So if you start telling people because you want to be noticed, you might as well go to McDonald's or run up here to the steakhouse and just go ahead and eat because you're done. (laughs) You've blown it. Yeah. You've blown it. And uh, and by the way, let me flip that. Uh, I've had people, they get, they'll say, well, what if my my boss takes us out and I got to go out to eat or I got to take a client out? Have I blown this week? And I'm like, no, it's just one meal. Just... You know, if that day gets blown, don't worry about it. Your intention was to fast. Right. So know? if that gets blown the next day, yep. fast fast the next day, but don't think, oh, I blew it, I'm done. You just say, well, okay, well, I'll, I'll pick up again tomorrow mm-hmm. and start fasting. Yeah. That's where people get too legalistic. It's not legalism. It's just an, it's a spiritual discipline mm-hmm. that you're exercising between you and the Lord just to get closer to God and, yeah. and because of certain issues. Um. I think that's really good. And I think we're talking about a lot of this because of what we're doing this week in the context of a church-wide fast. But what about just individual fast? You've got a problem. You've got something spiritual. Maybe you just want to get closer to God. Um, You know, you can do that occasionally. Um, 
But what about maybe, I guess where I'm going is, what about a personal rule of fasting? So for instance, fasting um, has been a regular part of Christian life. We see even in the early church, they consistently fasted. Um, we've we've used this source before. There was something called the Didache, which in Greek literally just means teaching. Um, that's this really early Christian document on worship. And they instructed um, every Wednesday and Friday to fast. And the reason is, is because the Jews fasted, I think, I hope I'm getting this right, on Tuesday and Thursday or some other day. And so basically they wanted to be different, but they continued that same rule of regular fasting. What merit is there to regular fasting? Is that important? Is that something Christians could should go for? Even if it's not Tuesdays, maybe one day. I know John Wesley did a Wednesday fast. Every Wednesday he would, you know, he would skip a meal or skip whatever all day. I've heard of um, certain people doing it every Friday. Um, what what's the benefit of not just periodically fasting when a situation comes up, um, but having a rule of fasting in your life? There, doctors will tell you, nutritionists will tell you that there are benefits, uh, particularly nutritionists, there are tremendous benefits of fasting. Mm-hmm. So, for example, when you don't eat, you you allow your body to cleanse itself. You're, you're not taking in, and particularly if you eat junk food or sugary drinks or whatever, when yeah. you deny your body those things, then it cleans your body, cleans the toxins out. It cleans all the junk out. A lot of that will hinder your thinking and your mind and your muddled. That's why I said you'll be amazed when you when you fast, your mind clears up. It sharpens. You'll mm-hmm. read the Bible, and the Bible will come alive. You'll see spiritual things you know, because it quickens the spirit as well. Yeah. So it, it will clean out the toxins. Um, the nutritionist says it gives your body, your, like your digestive system, a chance to heal, yeah. to reboot. So there there are tremendous benefits physically to fasting. Mm-hmm. But, but then, of course, we know there's, there's spiritual benefits. I would suggest or encourage people to fast. Um, I, I'll just say it that. I would encourage them to fast. But here's the thing. If you're going to do a set day fast, you, you want to be careful that if you do that, that day always has significance yeah. or that meal. Because if you if you just say... Every Friday, I'm going to fast lunch. The, the, the danger is after a while, that's just something you do, mm-hmm. and it loses its purpose. It's got to stay fresh or meaningful in some well, way. Well, there's nowhere in the New Testament where we are commanded to do a fast on mm-hmm. a certain day. We're commanded to rest on yeah. Sunday, well, on the Sabbath, which, you know, we uh, the Lord's Day, which is for a Sunday. But that's we're commanded to rest. But we're never commanded to, to every Tuesday you should fast. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a very subjective thing. I would encourage our listeners to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because there are times when I felt called to a fast. Maybe you've had that happen mm-hmm. where you just feel like I'm not eating this week. I feel like I need to fast. Yeah. And usually there's a context. There's something going on in my church. Mm-hmm. There's something going on in my family. There's an issue and so as I've been dealing with it, see how it gets back to what Jesus said, some things you're going to have to So I've been trying to deal with it in the regular spiritual ways, and then I'll just have that sense that I'm like, you know what, I need to fast. That's the next step. There have been people who've battled um, sicknesses who said, I'm going to fast and yeah. give up meals. So, yeah, I think this is very subjective. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would encourage people 
to set a day. Now, if you're an undisciplined person and you say, well, that would really help me. Mm-hmm. And if I did schedule it, it would be meaningful to me. Hey, go for it. Yeah. You and know? maybe even in broader terms, I know now, you know, twice a week that you have to be pretty disciplined for that. Maybe you just do it once a quarter. Maybe, maybe you start there just to make it a spiritual discipline in your life. You know, or I'm just throwing out ideas here. Maybe just to make sure that you don't never fast, you know, but maybe you don't, you don't have, have that discipline to do it weekly. You just say, Hey, we're going to do the church ride fast. And then I'm going to take this month. And you know what I mean? Just, just so you don't neglect it. Right. I'm yeah. just throwing out ideas just, here. And there are a number of spiritual disciplines and there's some mm-hmm. really great books out there about it. And fasting is one of the major ones. Yeah. But yeah. And then if you're facing something like several months ago, uh, back in 2019, um, there, I I just felt as a pastor, and we have a great church. Absolutely. Okay, we have an awesome church. High praise is just it's an awesome church. I, I'm I'm blessed. You and I are blessed to work here. I mean, our folks are great, and they make they make what we do easy. I've heard all these mm-hmm. horror stories, horror stories about churches, but there was there were some things spiritually that were not happening. Some things that that for me there were some barriers here, uh, and I think a lot of it was spiritual that I just could not get a breakthrough. I mean, it was taking months and months and months and months of praying, seeking God and all the things that a pastor does. And it's just like, it just, we could not get over the hill on some things. And I remember that I had a moment of desperation. I got desperate, like mm-hmm. really, truly desperate. I, I went to God and I said, I, I'm at my wits end. I'm desperate. And I didn't say, oh, I need to fast, or that fasting will fix it. I just got desperate, yeah, and I just didn't want to eat. I got so desperate that I just said, God, I'm not eating. I mean, it, it was like that kind of thing. Like, it was, it had reached the point that it was, it wasn't physical, but it was almost a physical response to a bad, I was like, and I stopped eating. I stopped, I just said, I'm not eating. I'm fasting, and I'm praying, and God, you got to do something. And now, yeah. Th- those times, if you're in a situation and you feel led to do that, you need to give in to that. You mm-hmm. need to say, God, I'm not eating. I- I'm desperate. And and what happened was I-, I didn't do it long, but I just did it like how as long as I felt I needed to do. And I didn't give up all day. I think I gave up some meals, but mm-hmm. I- it went for several days. And Evan, we we begin to see breakthrough. Yeah, The very things here at the church that, that we had some walls, those walls came down. Yeah. So I can just tell you from just a number of months ago that it works. Mm-hmm. It works. And so in those times, absolutely, if you feel that sense and you're getting desperate, push the plate back, get on your knees and just say, God, I'm not eating. Yeah. You know, I'm not it. letting go until you bless me, until this thing comes through. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, I want to end by asking you like a pretty practical question. I know we've we've weaved that in and out of the episode. Um. Tell me what constitutes a fast. <laughs> I know your 30-second definition was pushing back the plate, and for the entirety of this episode, we've essentially talked about food. We live in a time where a lot of people um, will do unique fasts. So biblically speaking, there's something called the Daniel fast that a lot of people do, and um, Which I think is mom's done that before. Yeah, you, you, your mom's done that. Uh, Leah's done that, um, where you eat. Basically, it's kind of vegan, mm-hmm. and you leave out meats and sweets, if, if you want to use just a simplified yeah. way to tell it. To do so it. if you're a hipster, you've already been doing that. Yeah, yeah if you're a hipster, you're <laughs> vegan. Uh, and then she drank, you know, I think, like water. Yeah. And... Um, and it's a, and it's a really good fast. And so there's like the Daniel fast, which is obviously biblical, but you're still eating. 
And then I'm aware of some people that will say, I'm going to fast soda or I'm going to fast social media or I'm going to fast whatever. Talk to me about does that constitute, I don't want to make anybody mad here, but does that constitute a true biblical fast and what would you suggest they do? The answer is no. Okay. A true biblical fast is when you you don't eat. And That's tell me fast. the heart of a fast, why maybe pushing back a plate is much different than pushing back social media. Because here's the well, here's what they're going to say. Well, social media or Netflix or whatever, it just takes up a lot of my time, and I'm putting that before God. So I'm going to I'm going to push that back, which takes a lot of my time, or it's really meaningful to me. Is fasting about pushing back something just simply meaningful, or is the symbolism a bit deeper? Social media is a want. Food is a need. That's good. <laughs> That's really good. You can't put the two in the same. They're apples and oranges. Yeah. So you can't say, because I'm going to cut back on social media. You know, a few people might say, well, I need my social media. Well, <laughs> you might be addicted. You might have addiction <laughs> or an idol in your life. So that's a whole other issue. You need that. You need to repent. <laughs> yeah. But I have to have food. And yeah. when I deny my, if I deny myself social media, okay, then that's just denying a want. I deny myself food. That's a need. Mm-hmm. And I have to really depend on God. So, um, but yeah, but let's get back. I mean, if you're going to fast, um, you have to prepare your mind. So I think mentally you have, you just don't go into, you have to say, okay, I'm going into a fast. Um, that's the first thing. Um, you need to, if you give up food, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to drink water. You need yeah. to make sure you have lots of fluid in your body. Uh, sometimes you can drink juices. I'm not hardcore. I give up food. I give up. I give up meals. Meals. So I'll drink coffee. Yeah. Same. I put creamer in it. So I'm like, oh, you put creamer in it. Look, don't be legalistic. Okay. Yeah. yeah I put creamer in it because I wanted to, but I, that's not putting cream in my coffee is not the same as me going to Longhorns and getting a filet and a baked potato. Okay. <laughs> that's how I am. I'm like, I know coffee's like a bit of a filling drink, but it does not satisfy it's me not, like a meal. <laughs> no, I'm denying myself protein. <laughs> yeah. I've designed myself carbs and I'm just, you know, the, what gives me energy. So I'm not legalistic about it. Drink some juice. I might drink milk. I say, well, that's milk. I, yeah, but it's just the point is it's still not a steak, potato, mm-hmm. and country and fried okra and, you know, fried squash yeah. and everything else fried we love in the South. It, you have to determine what you want to do. But, but then you pick how long you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's up to you. There's no hard, fast rule. Yeah. Okay, well, Daniel did a 21-day fast. Do I have to fast 21? No. Jesus fasts three days, or we don't have 40 days. You know, do, do, do I need to fast three days? You fast whatever. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, my fasting is one meal a day. Mm-hmm. When we do the seven-day fast this week, I'm, I'm not going to give up three meals every day. Uh, most of the time, I give up one meal, mm-hmm. sometimes two. But that's none of y'all's business. That's my business between me and the Lord. Yeah. See, and I'm not being a smart act. I'm just being funny mm-hmm. here. But that's the point. It's, yeah. It's not being a legalist about it. It's just saying, God, I'm going to give up lunch. You know, yeah. normally I eat a meal in the middle of my work day. I'm not eating here, God. I'll eat when we get home tonight for supper when I see my wife, my husband, but or if I'm single when I get home. But, but from, you know, and, I, and I'll set a time. I'll say till 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, mm-hmm. okay? That's uh, what I do because, you know, it's not about the time, but you want to— It's just You want to extend it. Yeah, you want to extend it long enough where you feel like you're really giving up that portion and I'll set a time and I'll say when I get to that point my fast ends yeah Uh, fast begins and fast ends by the way do you like breakfast I do I don't eat it enough but I love breakfast food all right here's the the question Uh, break down that word for me break fast break fast 
Why do you think that meal is called breakfast? You haven't eaten all night. You haven't sleeping. eaten since supper the night before, mm-hmm. and you have fasted. Yeah. You didn't eat after that. You went to bed. You've not. You've got up that morning. You have not eaten for hours. Yeah. Okay. Po- possibly twelve hours. Okay. Say you ate at seven o'clock, and then you get up at get dressed, and you're ready by seven in the morning. Twelve hours. You've not had anything to eat. You wake up. You say, "I need something to eat before I go to work." What do you do? You break your fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's called a. That's why it's called breakfast. Yeah. Breakfast. All right. But it, it, say you don't eat. Okay. Uh, sometimes I've done that. I'll just get up and I don't eat breakfast. You know, I'm willing, and a lot of times I'll do that. Uh, but, but by lunch, I'm ready to eat. But yeah. if I'm going to fast, I'll say, well, you know what? I can give up breakfast too easy. So I'll fast lunch. But I'll say, all right, four o'clock, I can start eating. Even if I don't eat supper till six, I'm going to fast till four. Then I might grab some nuts or, you know, almonds or whatever and pop some in to hold me off. But the fast is ended. Mm-hmm. So you start it and you end it. Okay. Um, If you do an extended fast for several days where you don't eat at all, you need to be really careful when you do eat again because your body has been without food. Mm -hmm. So I don't recommend going to Longhorns and getting a a, a sirloin and a baked potato. And you you need to be, uh, or, or, and I wouldn't eat junk either. I imagine that would upset your stomach. No, you want to, you just want to eat some. Some lighter foods, Some vegetables, vegetables, just get your system going again because you've purged it and be careful um, uh, because you, you know, you might have, you know, might have mm-hmm. a, 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 some negative effects from that yeah. that you don't want to have. Um, and then you should pray. Um, uh, you're not going to pray the whole time. So if I'm fasting, I'm working that day. You got to work. And we're called to pray without ceasing. Right. So you can talk to the Lord <laughs> during that day. That's right. Pray without ceasing. But but you're not, you know, if, yeah. if it, but so, so it's not like you can spend all eight hours, 10 hours praying. You got to work, but you don't know, spend, focus on God. Mm-hmm. Uh, during your break, talk to the Lord, pray, get your Bible and read it. Pray about the thing that you're fasting about. Mm-hmm. Even while you're working, say, God, I'm fasting today because my wife's sick and she's she needs a healing, God. Yeah. I'm you know, you don't have to do it all day, but just make that under your breath. God, touch my touch my son. He's not saved. I'm just burdened today. God, please, Holy Spirit, go to where he is and convict him right now. Mm-hmm. Just make him miserable. And and you you have that state of prayer. Yeah. Where you just cried out to the Lord. Um just kind of some practical things. Um um I don't know what else. What what else are you thinking? I, I I mean I think that's great. I think we've kind of covered it essentially. I mean that's I I, I think we've nailed it right there. Um, I think we've covered the practicals of it. I think we've covered all of that. Well, I think there's probably just a few more things that I probably ought to talk about because we're going to encourage people to do this. Um, two more thoughts okay. that I think are really important if we're going to do this, or I think would be would be remiss. Um, one is that the enemy, um, well, let's just say this one first. If you fast for something, okay, don't be disappointed if it doesn't, God doesn't answer your prayer right then and there mm. or, or during the fast. So fasting isn't magic. It's not magic. It's not a, it's not a formula. Um, but but it's a, it's about getting you in a place where you're trusting God. So if he doesn't do it right then and there, some things he will. You might get an answer. But if he doesn't, don't get don't say, well, boy, I wasted. That was a waste. Mm-hmm. You just come out of that saying, even though I've started eating again, God, I fasted and prayed, and I'm in a place of trust now. Even though I'm back eating again, it's going to happen. 
I'm looking for it to happen. That's how you come out of a fast. Um, second, the enemy will resist you. And we laughed about people calling you, but I, th- I really believe Satan will just nudge people to say, hey, call Evan and invite him to lunch <laughs> to try to keep you from eating. Um, there, Look, if Satan showed up when Jesus was fasting, what makes you think he will leave you alone? Yeah. Okay, because he knows that there is a power in fasting that breaks everything that he's done. It is, it is fasting wrecks the kingdom of Satan. Yeah. It's a wrecking ball. And so he wants to keep you from doing that. So you need to expect that there may be some spiritual warfare. Uh, I've laughed. Your mother is a godly woman. You know that. She's a praying woman. It's one of the things I loved about her when we first got married. And just she's, she's a godly woman. But when we were younger, I would fast and not tell her. And um, then we would laugh about this later because then she would just start to aggravate me about stuff or nitpick about things, you know. And it was just, you know, especially when we were younger in your marriage and she'd get on a get on a get on her horse about something, you know, ride me. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to get close to God and you're in here getting contentious. And, and so I remember early on, it would bother me. Well, then I told her about it and she said, I'm so sorry. She said, I didn't know. I said, well, you didn't know, but you know, we laughed about it and said, you know, one of us is fasting, the other's not. And the only enemy can just do the, he can just, I don't think he can manipulate us, but he can just sometimes do things. Mm-hmm. That's why it might be a good idea to tell your spouse. Yeah. But my point is... And uh, if it's a situation common to your marriage, just see if you both will you do it. You fast together. Yeah. That's powerful. A yeah. collective group fast, man. Oh, you get, get ready for some victory. Mm-hmm. And your mom and I have done that before. Uh, we've done that. We've just said, we're going to give up. We're, we're going to push back the plate together. We're going to fast and approach things. And we've seen God work. But my point is, the enemy's going to fight. And what will happen is you'll finish your fast and the enemy may still come up and say, see, you fasted, nothing's happening. you, you got to be ready for Satan trying to stop yeah. you believing and stop you trusting God and try to discourage you. And you just have to take authority and say, now, devil, mm-hmm. you need to back off, Jack, because you're not going to talk me out of this. I'm aware of what you're doing. It's not going to work. God's going to move in this in this situation. That's good. It's going to happen. Um, I'm going to tell my story that you guys laugh at because we we get tickled by names that that rhyme, and I know that this tickles you, but I have a, I had a cardiologist friend. Uh, his name is John Kahn. I know you love that. That's his name, John Kahn. And I've lost touch with him, so I don't know what Dr. Kahn's doing now, if he's even still practicing. But he, he went to church at Praise Cathedral, and uh, I was talking to Dr. Kahn one day, and uh, we got to talking about general anesthesia. And he said, when I was in medical school, I had a a, a cork board with three by five cards with questions on it pinned to that cork board questions that didn't have answers. But as a medical student, we wondered, and one of them was how, no, why does general anesthesia work? Now, if you're going to have surgery this week, <laughs> I'm about to freak you out. But he said, we know how it works. We know how to work it. There's an entire field of study with mm-hmm. it. And you have anesthesiologists who can you under for a surgery, but he says, we do not know why it does what it does to the human body. He said, we don't have an answer for that. That's crazy. We just know that it works and we're able to work it. We know how to adjust it, but he says, we don't know why it does. And, and I thought, man, that was fascinating. Yeah. I tell that because I have said for years, I know that fasting works. I know that it gets us, it moves the heart of God. 
It can defeat the enemy. It can give breakthrough. I don't know why it works. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it is, Evan, that that denying myself food rather than a video game or an internet, you know, social media media, or TV, Mm -hmm. I don't know why it is that when I give up food, I just know that it works. And I know serving the Lord now all these years and full-time ministry for 31 years, there have been times where there have been things I just couldn't get the breakthrough. And I started fasting and seeking the face of God, and God begins to move in a powerful way. Yeah. So I would encourage our listeners to, if they're not fasting, fast. Make Mm -hmm. this a spiritual discipline in your life. If you are fasting, go in it with great faith, get close to God, humble yourself, become dependent on Him, and come out of this with that sense of uh, God's going to work. Yeah. God's going to work. And I don't know when He's going to work. I don't know how He's going to work. But I know he's going to work, mm-hmm. and I'm expecting something to happen. That's great. Yeah, I don't think we can do any better than that. Yeah, I think I think you're I think right. We're done. All right, now we are going to do our bonus question segment. I don't think we've ever named this <laughs> bonus bonus question. question. <laughs> I don't know. Am I on a game show? <laughs> what is this? Are Answer you, this are question you Alex, for $500. Are you Alex Trebek? Yeah. This is a daily double. Gonna win a brand new car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea. But we are gonna do a bonus question. This is a really good question um, that I think we can answer pretty well. I've never seen the show, so she's referencing a show, the one who asked this question. But here's what she said Do we all create our own heaven? Are we all together with the ones we love? Is heaven similar to the show The Good Place minus the Hollywood spin? So just to read the question again, do we all create our own heaven? Are we all together with the ones we love? And is heaven similar to that show that I've never seen? Uh, Okay, let's take it one by one. And you you, you pipe in here. One, no, we don't create our own heaven. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. It is a spirit realm. So mm-hmm. uh, it's a real place, but it's a spiritual place, yeah. okay? It's the dwelling place of God. Even though God fills all in all, he chooses to manifest himself in that place. Uh, it's known in the residence of God. So we don't create our own heaven. We don't have that potential. Mm-hmm. You you get to go to heaven to be with, with Jesus. Um, I heard uh, Dwight Thompson preach years ago a sermon called Heaven Will Be Heaven, because Jesus will be there. <laughs> I mean, heaven is only heaven because of Jesus. Jesus yeah. It, and and I and, and and I always said if Jesus was in the slums and the ghetto, that that would be heaven. Yeah. Because Jesus is there. So that's the the answer to that is we don't create our own heaven. Can I pipe in too? Yeah, absolutely. My my, my immediate if, immediate thought with that question. I'm assuming that's what the show is. Is you create your own heaven. Uh, I mean, one, I think that's born out of probably a very secular, secular, morally pluralistic society that everybody just makes their own truth. Heaven is very personal. It's based on your preference. Whatever is good for you is based on your own preference. It's very individualistic. America is a very individualistic society based on individual freedoms, you know, that whole thing. And so we think very me-centered, individual-centered, when God doesn't work that way. Like you just said, one, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Two, we're all part of the church. We're all a part of the body of Christ. And so we have to view 
our time with Jesus, not as individual, but as the church, like everybody who's ever believed in Jesus from the past, from now to the future. And so we've got to think of it in that collective sense that heaven is wonderful because we're with Jesus and we're with the saints finally forever. Yeah. And so we have to kind of get out of that individualist mindset and realize we're part of the body of Christ made up of everyone. Yeah, and and we'll I'll talk about that show in just a second. But that show, you're right, is very is from a very humanistic. Have you seen it? Uh, I've just bits and pieces. Okay, so it's it's very humanistic. Mm-hmm. It's a humanistic creation of a biblical concept. Yeah. So just think about that. It's a humanistic creation of a biblical concept. So mm-hmm. they've changed it. Well, you can take poetic license and lit- literature license and a lot of things, but I mean, you can't. It's a show, I mean, yeah, right, but you can't with the Word of God. Yeah. So, so, so there. Um, two. Um, what was the second part? Will we our loved ones be there? Are we all together with the ones it, right. we love? I mean, obviously, that's a there's a qualification. Yeah. And your loved ones who are there are going to be your loved ones who have been born again, who have re- been redeemed and been saved. Uh, if and this is very sobering and it's it's sad, um, and in our politically correct society where everybody's afraid of upsetting everybody, I, I don't know. Maybe people are afraid to say that. I'm going to say it because it's biblical truth. If your loved one's not saved, then your loved one won't be there. Yeah, and that's a horrible thought. Yeah, I mean none of us like it's that. Terrible. But it's truth. Yeah, it's fact. Okay, even if I don't like the facts, I can't deny it just because it makes me upset. Um, but but they won't be there. If mm-hmm. your loved ones have been born again, they'll be there. And the Bible says we shall know even as we are known. So you'll know your aunt, your uncle, your mom, your dad, brother, sister, whatever. I've got aunts and uncles there. I've got all my grandparents are there. I've got numerous church family members that mm-hmm. I've pastored through the years that are they've gone on to be with the Lord. Um, so we'll know them. Okay? And, I, and I'll say too, I mean, I don't know if this helps or not, Right now, it's a pretty sobering thought, and you will, I mean, you you know, you can grieve over it. When you get to heaven, there will be no worry. I mean, at, once you're there, you, I mean, everything will be perfect from your perspective. Including so you. So you won't sit there grieving over maybe a loved one who's not there, um, though it doesn't make it any better, <laughs> that well, makes sense. I, I, no, and I don't, and I think the Bible says we'll be glorified mm-hmm. and we'll be um, we'll be in a state that we aren't now, and I think our knowledge and understanding of God's justice and of people's yeah. decisions w- will probably be very clear and very prevailing, that even though you may say, okay, let's just take it, my husband is not here, I'm here and he's not. He died and he's in his sins or rebelling against God, that grieves us now. But when you get to heaven, I think there's in that glorified state, which is going to be so far superior to who and what we are now, you'll be much like God where you'll say, you know, I, as much as that would have grieved me mm-hmm. before glorification, he made a decision. It was his choice, and he reaped the consequences. Mm-hmm. And there'll probably, I think, be a little – that's not cold. I don't think We're that's not saying cold. that to sound selfish, no. but if you want to ask about heaven, heaven will be heaven whether your loved ones are there or not. Right. It will still be yeah. the perfect place. Your loved ones being there is not what makes heaven yeah. heaven. Okay, it's yeah. Jesus being there. So, um, yeah, but anyway, that's the answer to that, sort of the simple answer to that question. The third is no, it is not like that show. And and I'll give you the one example for me. Um, and what is it Kristen Bell – 
Zinette. Is that her name? The the actress. I have no clue. I think she's in it, and then the guy who played on Cheers. I thought you were asking about Christian Bale. No, no. Kristen. Is her last (laughs) name Bale? I I don't know. know. Maybe you can look up the cast for while I'm talking. But uh, the blonde, I know who she is. Um, uh, But she's on it. One of the things that they do, Evan, in that show is, is, like, when she gets there, it's almost like she doesn't belong. And so she's still... She's there, and she got in, but she's still the same person that she was on Heaven. So there's no change in her, and she uses profanity, okay? So she tries to use the F-bomb, but it comes out. She can't say the F-bomb. It comes out some other word, some meaningless, safe word. (laughs) So in in that Heaven on that show, you can't cuss. If you try, it won't let you. It comes out something else. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's kind of, okay that's kind of funny as far as a creative writer right. aspect. so it's creative and it's funny <laughs> and it's entertaining yeah. if you're going to try to get uh, viewers yeah. to watch your show D- is that heaven no yeah okay because we're not supposed to use <laughs> profanity now that bugs me because there are people who are saved that think they it's still okay for them to use profanity i think they should be under conviction of the holy ghost because the bible says james says bitter and sweet water don't come out of the same fountain okay so th- th- to me, that's a that's a hard issue. There now I'm going on a, now I'm preaching. Okay, but but when you get to heaven in a glorified body that is like Jesus, okay, Jesus didn't go around using profanity, and and we don't go. So you're not going to be in heaven dropping f bombs. I mean, name any sin. Eh? It's not like you're going to want to do it, and then Jesus is going to censor your action. Exactly. Whatever it is. You just summed it up yeah. as now. That's that's the point where on that show. If you're trying, it's like you're up there, but you're still trying to be like you were down here. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't even even closely resemble because we have been justi- justified. We're being sanctified right now, but when we get to heaven, we'll be glorified. Yeah, and there will be no more sin. Sin, we've been redeemed from sin. We've been washed from sin. We we shouldn't be doing those things now here. Yeah, and and the rea- reality is, if you drop f bombs and you're the kind of person she is on that show. Struggling with the things she struggles with in heaven, yeah, that's not even that you wouldn't even get in. The, the reality is that person would not even be in heaven, yeah, because uh, you you haven't been born again. You you you're wanting to do what you want to do, including sinful things. Mm-hmm. That's a sinner. Yeah, the people who make it to heaven are those whose whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's a metaphorical that you've been cleansed from your sins, mm-hmm. that you've been glorified, that you are righteous. Those the, the, You see the, the saints in heaven wearing white robes, which are yeah. symbolic of righteousness. You're a right person. Pure, yeah. So, yeah, the show's entertaining, okay, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it is what it is, but don't let it affect— it's just a show. It's just a show. It's entertaining, whatever. Yeah, just yeah. don't take it. Don't take your religious and moral cues from from, from probably from Hollywood. From Hollywood culture. Ever. Get back to the <laughs> Word of God and go read Revelation, and that'll kind of give you an idea of what heaven's like. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, as always, rate us, review us, all of that. Get, uh, you know, gets our name out there more. Um, and then we would love for you to send in a question just like that. So if you have uh, kind of a random question. It doesn't have to be random, just maybe a shorter question or even a entire episode suggestion. Um, find us on Facebook or Instagram at High Praises Church. We're located in Anderson, South Carolina, if that will help. Um, and send us a direct message on there. Just say, hey, I've got a question for the podcast. Send as many as you like. We've had people just drop question after question after question, and we love that. We keep them, we have them, 
um, and, and we would love to answer them. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We hope you have a happy new year and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.